Well, God's blessings on you today. What a great time to be a born-again believer. Those that are following after God. Well, thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, this morning we're going to do something a little different. I don't always do this. In fact, I don't uh, do it very often at all. But today we're going to. And if you saw that up on Facebook, we haven't figured it out yet. It's not that earth-shattering. But um, I've told you over the past that there are... Uh, I've grown to understand the anointing that I walk in. And I try and make sure I stay within that, uh, within the borders, so to speak, of, of that anointing. Um, I've gotten people mad at me at times because I, I've told them some of the borders that I operate within. And that I don't go, go out that much. But uh, there are about five books of the Bible that I seldom, if ever, teach from. And the reason for it is, when I've taught from it, there's no anointing there. Very little. Other people have an anointing to teach those, and I let them teach them. Now, I had some people get upset at me for the, those kind of things, and I've, I've told them, I teach from places in the Bible that no one else touches. So, so don't get too upset at me. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, we're going to be over in the book of Psalms. Yeah, Psalms is one of those uh, places I stay out of. It's very poetic. And the anointing that uh, God has me walking in, it's just, it, it doesn't... Uh, I, I read it, I understand it, I get blessed by it. Don't, don't misunderstand me on that at all. It's just when I've taught from it, it, it seems to, on the inside, I just don't feel the, the same empowering I do in some of the other areas. And so if you've been around long enough, you know what some of the other areas are that I've, I've stayed out of. Uh, they're probably areas that you stay out of in your reading, too. I've heard a few people minister from it. Most of the times I hear people who minister from these other, other books, and I just laugh. I said, dear Lord, if that's what you're getting out of that, you ought to not teach from it either. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> we're going to be over in the book of Psalms. Way back last year when we first started this series, I knew exactly where we would be ending this series, and this is where we're going to be ending it. Here in the 91st chapter of Psalms. Most of uh, you are very familiar with this psalm. There's a few psalms that people are, are extremely familiar with. 23rd Psalm, 91st Psalm, things of, of this nature, 150 Psalm. Most people know about the 119th Psalm being the longest. And... Um, uh, do you all know that the, the 119th Psalm, do you know what its purpose was in writing? David was expressing his love for the Word. And if you go back through there, you will find out that he does a thing in the, you don't see it in the English, you only see it in the in the Hebrew, where uh, he starts out with, uh, I forget how many of them there are, but he takes the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet and uses that as a reason why he loves the Word. And I think he does that for the first six or seven. And then he goes on to the next one. And then the next one. And he just keeps on going all the way through the alphabet. So if you, if you saw the Hebrew, you would see it. But uh, English, it doesn't quite work out to be the same. There's a name for that, and I forget what it is. But anyway, we're going to be over in the 91st Psalm. Just reviewing some things from last time. We were looking at finishing. In Psalms 24.10, it says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. We all, How many of you put that on your refrigerator this week? <laughs> New Living Translation says, If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. New Century Version says, If you give up when trouble comes, it shows that you are weak. 
We don't want to give up when trouble comes. We want to be prepared for it and ready so that the thing that we're believing for, the things that we're exercising our faith on, we see it out till it ends. Now we're here over in the 91st Psalm. I'm sure many of these verses will be quite familiar to you. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now he starts off here, he who dwells. This word here for dwell means uh, that this is not for all people. This is for the people who dwell in the presence or who dwells in, the, as it puts it here anyway, in the secret place of the Most High. Now to dwell means to basically to dwell, remain, sit or abide. But here, this secret place is a little bit misunderstood because a lot of people, we spend time on, well, what is the secret place of God? If I'm supposed to dwell there, I need to know what it is and how do I get into the secret place of God? And we spend a lot, a lot of people spend a lot of time on that. I did some uh, looking up on this and I gave you the Hebrew on it if you want to go look that up yourself. But it, uh, this, the term secret place here refers to a shelter of protection. It's a shelter of protection. The New Century Version translates it this way. Those who go to God most high for safety will be protected by the Almighty. Those who go to God most high for safety will be protected by the Almighty. The Jerusalem Bible reads this way. If you live in the shelter of Elion and make your home in the shadow of Shaddai, you can say to Yahweh, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now this is talking about not a secret place, but basically a fortress, a safe place, a place that you go into that you are protected from. They would have this, of course, the cities would be a safe place. The, there were the towers that were there and they would go in there when they needed protection, but they weren't, they didn't stay in there all the time. They would come in there when they would need the protection. But this is the place that they would begin to feel safe from. Now, how many of you, can, maybe when you're growing up, maybe even now, have a safe place? A place where you feel the most safe. A place where, you know, I, I feel I can let my hair down here or um, I don't have to be concerned about as, as many things. This is a safe place. And other places where, where you just your guard is up a little bit more. All right, there's some people around here. Uh, they don't like some of the aspects of me or, or <laughs> whatever it might be. And you're just a little bit more guarded. You've got that, uh, that safe place. When we were little, how many remember, you know, maybe there were times you're outside and, and it got darker or the storm came up and a little bit of terror began to come up on the inside of you. And so you ran home and you're running home and sometimes that terror began to build up a little bit more. But as soon as you got home and closed that door, how many felt that relief? <sighs> Okay. The same storm's going on, the same situation is going on outside, but you're in the safe place now. And it just changes the way that you are, are facing things. And this is what he's talking about here. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now this is to be your dwelling, but not your prison. Sometimes we look at this and say, well, I've got to be in there all the time. You don't have to be in there all the time. But it's your dwelling. How many of you have a dwelling? Some of you pay rent for that dwelling. Some people pay a mortgage for that dwelling. Some people live in someone else's dwelling. But it's still your dwelling. This is the place where you dwell. This is the place where that is home for you. This is the place you come to at the end of the day. That's your dwelling. 
but you don't stay there all the time. You go out and you do some things and then you come back to your dwelling. But uh, that dwelling is always there. You don't leave the dwelling and say, oh, I'm wondering if my dwelling is still there. It is, but you don't have to feel like I can't leave this dwelling. If I leave this dwelling, then uh, I could get hurt. And sometimes Satan has uh, uh, imprisoned some believers in this way. Well, if I don't operate this way, if I don't do these things every single day, every moment of the day, then the devil can get me. But this is not to be your prison. This is your dwelling. We have a place that we dwell in. We go there when we want to. And, you know, the reason that you have the house that you have, that you have the apartment that you have, that you have the place that you live in, is because you came in there and you said, I like this. Right? You looked around and said, I like this. I mean, this will work. Maybe if you had spent more money, you could find something that worked better. But you, there's always a mix in there. You, you only want to spend so much for the for the apartment, for the house. And so you're always trying to find that comfort area. Well, I want this much stuff, but I don't want to pay this this much. I mean, if you were going to go out there and, and spend uh, $4,000 a month, you could find a pretty nice place. But you also have to earn 4000 plus in order for you to, to be able to stay there. And that's not uh, something we always want to do. Some of these people live in, in some of the, the bigger cities. Boy, they pay some some rent. I heard some places in New York City, apartments go for several million dollars to buy them. And then you got to pay the taxes on them. I can't imagine paying several million dollars for an apartment in the city. But for some people, that's this is what they want to do. That's their dwelling. They they feel good about that. I don't. I wouldn't want to pay what they paid for it and probably not want to live there either. But you see, your dwelling is where you want to be. I like this. Some people like more spread out spaces. Some people like city life. Uh, it just, it depends on, on how we grow up, what kind of things that we want, uh, what kind of things you want to be near. How many of you, when you were looking for a place for your dwelling, I want to be near shopping. I want to be near some places where I can go shopping. I want to be near some places that has the conveniences I need. I want a grocery store nearby. I want, uh, whatever kind of stores that you might need to be near there. Some of you folks, you know, I, like me, I one of the things I always look for whenever I was looking for a place is where can I run? If I can't, I, I got to find a place. When I moved back to Tulsa the second time and stayed there, that was really high on my priority list because I was going, finding a place by myself. I was living by myself. There was no one else to consider. All I had to do was find a place for me. And so the first thing I said, I want to find a place to run. If you're in the city like Tulsa, you have to be near the river. Like in Philadelphia, if you want a place to run, you've got to be somewhere near the river because that's the only place you're going to find straight lines. Everything else, you know, you've got to keep stopping at the traffic light. I don't like to run and stop at the traffic light and run to the next traffic light and stop there and run to the next traffic light and stop there. I don't like that. I like straight lines. So I found a place that was on the, um, on the river and uh, had a view of the river. I could open up my French doors. And I had French doors in the living room. I had French doors in the bedroom. And they opened out into a patio. And I can go out in that patio and I can look out over the river. It was the Arkansas River. It's not the prettiest of, of rivers. But, you know, all rivers look pretty good from a distance. 
And if you get those storms coming in, you'd see the lightning and all the storm coming in on the river. Oh, it was just absolutely wonderful. Loved it. And I had miles of places that I could run up along the river and never have to cross the street. And so um, that was my dwelling. Now, some other people, they didn't want to pay the, the price I paid for that. Now, if I told you the price I paid for this, this place, you would be, you know, you'd, you'd fall off your rocker. But um, Tulsa had gone through a, a building phase and they, they had really expanded. And then all of a sudden the oil market fell out. And while I was gone, the oil market fell out and a lot of people left. So there's a lot of empty spaces. So the prices went really far down. So I had an apartment, one bedroom apartment with a dishwasher, a laundry, washer and dryer in the apartment and um, a fireplace, the French stores, ceiling fans, wall-to-wall carpeting. And um, I was on the, this may not be a benefit for you, but for me it was. I was on the third floor. That was on the top floor. So you had to go up the stairs. There's no elevators, but you had to go up the stairs. They had a pool. They had a uh, party room. If you ever wanted to have a party and rent that, I never did that, but that was there. And uh, all you had to do was cross over the street, and here you are on the trail, and you could just uh, run forever. Now, uh, that used to go for a lot more money, but when I was there, I paid $350 a month for it. $350 a month for, for all that. Now, I, I knew other people, they were more concerned about price than they were about too many other stuff, and they found some places, and they paid $170. $170 for an apartment. <laughs> the, the prices had really dropped down. I don't know what that apartment goes for now. I don't care. I don't live there. <laughs> but it was it was a really good deal when I was there. And so, um, you know, I took advantage of it and I felt at home there. It, it felt good. And for the time that I was there, it was a good place. But that's what you, you buy places because of of um, what you like. You want to get that mix between how much money you're spending and how much comforts that you want to have. But then once you find that, it becomes home. It becomes your dwelling. But you don't stay in there all the time. You go out and you do things. And so this, we have to remember that there's nothing I have to do 24 hours a day, even 12 hours a day, to make sure that I stay in this secret place. Sometimes people will teach you, well, in order to be in this secret place, you've got to be in an attitude this way, or you've got to be doing these particular things. And so I get into bondage because I think, oh, I, I'm not doing that. I didn't say these things this morning. I didn't think these things this morning. And see, then it becomes your prison, not your dwelling. Make sure... You understand the first verse. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, abide there means to stay permanently. Some translate uses a rest. As a rest. So, if I dwell in the secret place of the Most High, I shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's where your permanent residence is, not in the dwelling. I abide, I am under a permanent, under the shadow of the Almighty. And His his shadow goes with me wherever I go. So even when I leave the dwelling, the shadow is still there. That's a more permanent word. It's a different Hebrew word that is used. And I rely on other people's expertise. That's where I uh, pulled this from. To stay permanently. Some translations, you actually use the word rest for it. But in uh, verse 2, I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress. Now you see he uses the term fortress there. That goes back to the dwelling. It's a place of safety. It's a, it's a more of a, like a tower or a walled city or a, a place that you would go into for protection from the things that are out there. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. 
So when we dwell and abide, the Lord will become this for us. If I dwell in that safe place, if I abide under his shadow, the Lord will become this for me. He will become my refuge. He will become my fortress. My God in him will I trust. Now, if he is not your refuge and your fortress, go back to verse 1. Because somehow you're missing something there. If I think my dwelling is here and I think I abide under the shadow, but I'm not seeing the results from it, then more than likely I'm not there. I'm doing something that I think is putting me there, but I'm not actually there. Because he says, let's read it all again, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Any conditions on the person who dwells? Doesn't matter. Just so you dwell. Doesn't say whether you're a new believer or an old believer. Doesn't say whether you know the faith message or don't know the faith message. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. This is where, this is the results from that. This is where we want to be. Now there are things that come against us when we're in that tower and we're in that fortress. And the reason that we come to these things, I just wrote down three here. You can probably keep adding some more things, but these three will encompass a, a, a good bit of it. One thing that comes against you is feelings. Feelings will come against you and try and, and attack you and pull you from this place. How many times have you ever heard Christians, certainly not, not you, but other people, you know, well, I just don't feel like, well, I just don't feel that God would do that. And see, our feelings have gotten in. Because I feel this way, it has steered my beliefs. It has affected me that way. And the enemy loves throwing feelings at you. Well, I just don't feel saved. You ever had that? We were just, uh, recently my wife and I were re-listening to something from Brother Hagin. He went over that story. You probably have heard the story, but I'll go over for you. I love hearing Brother Hagin's stories. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time. I just keep on going. Tell it to me again. I just, I just loved some of those stories that he would do. But he came up one time and he was talking about this lady who, uh, who had come to him and said, uh, Brother Hagin, I need you to pray with me on something. He said, okay, what? And of course he went through the, the thing he always goes with, with people. He said, well, how, do I have to tell you what? He says, well, I'm not going to pray if you don't. He says, you won't. He says, no, because either you're asking me to pray in agreement for something, and I can't agree to what I don't know. <laughs> or you're asking me to have faith for something. I can't have faith for something I don't know. All right. So she went ahead and she, she told him. So she began to tell him. She says, well, she said, um, my husband and I, you know, we, we were married. She's the believer. He's not. And she said, um, uh, you know, I would go to church and he wouldn't go to church, but you know, things were, I'm cutting his story. story. He, he told her a lot more, but, uh, he said that one time I came home and, uh, well, he came home and he pretended like he was drunk. He had gone out to the bar and he pretended like he was drunk and, uh, I just got mad at him and I said some things out of anger. And after I got angry enough, he said to me, he says, Oh, hold on. I'm just, I'm just funning with you i'm not really drunk <laughs> it was it was fine i didn't uh, i didn't go out drinking i didn't get drunk I'm, I'm i'm fine and she was still so mad at him for for pulling this thing on her that she went into the bedroom and slammed the door and locked it 
and she just was fuming there all night, but she, you know, eventually got through it and uh, came on out in the morning and was talking to him. And she had some, gone over some things with God. And so she, uh, uh, she said uh, uh, to her husband, she says, you know, I just, I need to ask you to forgive me. And he says, what? He said, if anybody needs to ask me to be, be forgiven, it's me. I'm the one who, uh, who was, was pulling the stuff on you. He says, no, no, no. I, I said some things out of anger and I shouldn't have said that. And uh, will you forgive me? And um, he said, well, yeah, of course I'll forgive you. And so Brother Hagin, of course, interrupted the story again. And he says, well, you haven't asked me any to pray for anything. You're just telling me a story. And he says, well, I haven't gotten to that part yet. <laughs> so she kept on going. And so she was, um, she was saying, well, I, I asked God to forgive me too. And this is the part I want you to pray with me on. She said, uh, I, I don't feel like he has. What do I need to do so that I can be forgiven? And so he began to, to explain to, to her. He says, well, what's the word say? And, you know, go over the, the word. And the, the word says, and she, anyway, he got down to this. Your problem is, well, he asked her this question first. When you asked your husband to forgive you, do you believe that he did? Yeah, yeah, sure he did. He said, well, your problem is you have more faith in your husband than you do in God. All because she didn't feel like God had forgiven her. Hmm. See, the enemy will throw feelings at you. And feelings will try and entrap you. I don't feel healed. I don't feel saved. I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel like God cares. I don't feel like God loves me. I don't feel like I get anything when I read the word. And feelings can entrap us. This is one of those things that the forces will protect you from. From the feeling. Now, you'll still have the feelings, but they won't have the effect on you that they should. Here's a second one. Reports. We get bad reports. We get things that come to us. And, well, we don't like those reports. I don't like what that says. And we have to, we have to protect ourselves from that. We have to keep ourselves from, from those things. Lamar and Mandy shared with us a, a praise report that uh, they gave me a little bit more of the inside information on. I won't give you all the inside information. Let them do it. <laughs> but they were getting reports on the, on the deal for their house that uh, was, they, they weren't good reports. They weren't, it, people weren't getting things done. But glory to God, they, they, kept, they kept saying it. I know God, God has led us here. God, and they, they didn't let those feelings affect them. And now they're in their house. Glory to God for that. See, reports can come in. You have to get yourself to the point where I don't care what the report says. What did my God say? Because the reports will always come in and, and try and lead you in the wrong way. Don't, don't give in to the reports. If you go to the doctor, he's checking you out. Don't go in there saying, well, I believe for a good report. We've told you that before. Don't ever believe for a good report. You're setting yourself up for the devil to take you down. I don't, you go in and say, I don't care what kind of report comes. I'm going with what God said. That's what you stay with. Here's the third thing. Threats. You ever been in a place where people make threats at you? Threats can certainly stir up some feelings. And they can begin to pull us from this place we're supposed to be. Let's read over our verses again. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. See, sometimes we don't feel like we're under that shadow so well. When you're under the shadow of the Almighty, that means you are in close proximity to the Almighty. 
If you're under His shadow, that means He's above you. Towering over you. It's like that, uh, what is, what is that cartoon, uh, that cartoon movie they made where they had the, the little, the little critter there and, and, uh, he was trying to scare away some of the enemies and all of a sudden they got scared away because there was a, a lion, the daddy lion came up behind him. And, uh, he's under the shadow of that daddy lion because the daddy lion was over top of him. Lion King, was it? All right. Well, that's what we have. If we have that shadow behind us, or over us, that means that we're in close proximity to Him. And wherever it is we are, He is too. And I understand that He is too. Because I, I see His shadow. I don't have to turn around and see Him. I see His shadow. Just have, I just know when His presence is around me. That should embolden us. So when those reports come, when those feelings come, when those thoughts get in our head, I'm emboldened. My God is around me. You are not going to come in here with this, this sort of stuff. I will say to the Lord, you are my place of safety and protection. This is a New Century Version for verse 2. I will say to the Lord, you are my place of safety and protection. You are my God and I trust you. Now it says here, I will say of the Lord, this is speaking of a personal testimony. You can only get so far on the power of other people's testimony. Even people in the Word. I can only get so far on Moses' testimony of who God was for him. Or who David said God was for him. I can only get so far with that. I have to get to a place where it becomes personal for me. And I know my God has showed up for me. And that's what David is saying here. He said, I will say of the Lord... He is speaking of his own personal testimony. This is what God has become for me. This is who God is for me. I will say of the Lord. We're we're talking about him. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. Verse 3. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. So if something physical out there, the snare of the fowler, he's, he's going to deliver you from that. If it's something that's invisible to you, like the perilous pestilence, you can't see them. He's going to deliver you from that. You see, there were perilous pestilences in David's day. There were perilous pestilences in Moses' day. They had perilous pestilence in many days in the Word of God. But he says... Surely, he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Now, what's the word surely mean? Does it mean maybe? Does it mean this is likely to happen? Surely means some kind of an assurance there. This is what's going to happen. Surely. Now, we we can sometimes say that in, in, in one way. Um, I've told you this story before, but you know, little boys are very predictable. Little girls, not so much. But little boys, they are very predictable. You can, I, I could look out and watch, watch Christian. He's going to, and I know exactly what he's going to do. Because I was a little boy. I know how they think. You know, you, you can just look out there and says, he's going to run out in the street right now. He doesn't usually run out in the street, but right now, yep, he's going to run out in the street. Sure enough, there he goes, right on out in the street. Why? Well, I knew the situation. I watched it kind of form. 
I know surely he's going to, he knows better, <laughs> but surely he's going to run out in the street right now. And so I get myself ready to, to say something to stop it because maybe I see a danger or I may be already looking. He didn't, he didn't look both ways, but I look both ways. We're okay. All right, since we're okay, I'm going to let him go out there and run in the street and then let him know afterwards, this is not what you're supposed to do. But if I saw the danger, I would have stopped him before he ever got out there. You know, there's certain situations you can see people, I know they're going to do this. It hasn't happened yet, but you're absolutely certain that it's going to happen. This is how it's going to go. Surely, he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. New Century Version puts in their deadly disease. So if he delivers you from it, then neither the snare of the fowler nor the perilous pestilence is going to affect you if he delivers you from it. If God has been, if he is your deliverer, if he is your fortress, if he is your safe place, if he is the God in whom you trust, surely, see this word surely comes right after trust. We're supposed to build up that trust with God because I have that trust with God. Surely he shall deliver me. There's a whole lot of Christians that when perilous pestilence or snares come up, they're wondering, I don't know, will God help me in this? They don't have that surely because they haven't walked in the first two verses. They think maybe that they've walked in the first two verses, but apparently they're not. Because if I walk in the first two verses, I develop a trust with my God, a personal testimony, a personal knowing of what he will do. And I come to verse 3, surely he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. So that means, and that's not just for this this uh, uh, stupid thing going on around here now. Because this was the same kind of thing when you had other other viruses that came through our, our country. H1N1, swine, bird, SARS, mirrors. What other names did they put on these things? All these things. And they were, they were all killing people. But you see, you walk out in the midst of it and what do you do? Glory to God. I'm delivered. <laughs> Surely, He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Now notice this. He doesn't say He keeps you from it. He says He delivers you from it. So that may mean that the perilous pestilence is in around my area where I'm at. But I'm delivered from it. That's what it's talking about. He, he, surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Even if you fell into the snare. That's alright, gotcha. It don't matter. He shall deliver you. There's no question there. God will do it. Verse 4. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. I don't know who it was. I just know many years ago I heard somebody teach. Well, I think it was on this. But they were using the, the part of the hen. Or maybe they're going to the verse of scripture where it talked about the hen. And it talks about how a hen will protect its chicks. And a hen is, is incredible in the way they're protected. And the one particular instance they brought up with this was there was a fire. And the hen caught all the chicks in and put its wings over it and its body over it and the fire killed the hen. Mm. But when they removed the, 
the body of the, the hen, the chicks were underneath and they were safe. That, that hen had taken, taken all the abuse from the fire so that the chicks made it through. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. Whatever it is that comes, comes your way, if he needs to, he will settle down right over top of you and cover you. If that's what needs to be done in order to take care of you, he will do it. Cover you right there. When the danger is past, then he uncovers you. You just need that covering while the, the danger is there. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Now, there's a common phrase that you hear around. Well, that's not my truth. I don't want your truth. I don't want my truth. I want God's truth. What are the things that God says is true? Because sometimes the thing I think is, is true, God says that's not true. <laughs> I may be sincerely believing that that's true, but it's my belief. God says, well, that's not true. You can believe that. And don't let you believe things that aren't true for a while. But eventually, it's going to get to the place where it's going to hinder you. And he's going to try and reveal other things to you. He's going to try and help you out. And you can sometimes refuse that and say, I'm not, no, I, don't, I don't buy into that. But there's his truth. How many can remember a time where you believed something, either about the word or about something going on? You believed it with everything in you. And then all of a sudden you got revelation. I did not know it was this way. <laughs> well, that was good for you that you received the revelation that comes from God. Sometimes we're not always that receptive. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. So if you have another truth, you've got the wrong shield. I want to make sure I got the right shield in place. I want to make sure that I have the right thing deflecting stuff. You know, you get the wrong shield out there. You get some plastic shield. Them fiery darts will take care of that thing real fast. You don't want no plastic shield going out into the battle. You need a, you need a real good strong shield. Verse 5. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. Have you ever been in a place where nighttime um, caused you fear or unrest? Now, I'm not talking about now. You probably have outgrown it by now. But perhaps there was a time when nighttime was an issue for you. Maybe when you were little growing up. Maybe uh, uh, other situations. Maybe you're okay, you know, being in a dark room and going to sleep. But being out... On the street, at nighttime, in the city, in a place that was strange, and it's night, and I'm not so sure about what's going on here. You ever been in a place like that? Daytime, you can see everything. And there's other people around in daytime. Nighttime, there's not as many people. And I can't see quite as far as I was able to see before. And, you know, it's... It's nighttime and there can be a terror. And it seems like once that terror starts, it can start to build on the inside of you and send you even into a frenzy. I've seen that sometimes in some movies. They depict, they depict that with uh, some people. They started to get scared and then that, that fear just started to escalate and they started to panic and, and all kinds of uh, bad things went on. But he says, 
here in the Word, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night. When there's a terror by night, I don't know what I'm afraid of. I hear sounds and I think that they're different than they probably are. I see things moving and I'm not sure what those things are because it's nighttime. I can't see, I can't process the information. And when I can't process the information, my mind begins to, well, that's probably somebody up there waiting for you to, to get you. And I begin to, to feel that terror that comes on the inside. But he says right here, no, that terror won't get a hold of you. Why? Because I'm under his shadow. He's right there for me. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Now, the reason for these two, as I see it anyway, uh, uh, being in the same verse, is terror by night. These are things you can't see. They're just things that are around you. Someplace around you, here they are. But an arrow that flies by day, this is something that has targeted you. This is something that somebody sent your way. They see you. They loaded up that arrow and they pointed it in your direction and they sent it for the purpose of harming you. This is not a terror by night. This is not something that's unknown. We know what it is. Here it is. Here it comes. But he says you won't be afraid of it. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day. Verse 6, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness. We're here again on pestilence. Can't see the pestilence. Nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. So whether it's a it's destruction that I can't see, can't perceive, can't feel, or it's something that lays waste at noonday, I can see it. I can see that destruction. It doesn't matter what kind of destruction, what kind of pestilence, what kind of thing is coming against me. Night or daytime, God delivers me from them. Now here's a verse, verse 7. We all like this one. A thousand may fall at your right side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. I don't know about you, but if you're, if I see 10,000 fall on my right side, that's kind of coming near. I mean, isn't it? That's kind of near to where I'm at. It doesn't say the left side, but it says uh, side. I just kind of always kind of assume, well, on this side, this is happening. And on this side, this is happening. But uh, however it is he, he means, this is going on near me. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Have you ever had something happen? And you say, boy, that came near. That car almost hit me. This thing almost happened to me. Boy, that was a, boy, that was a near miss. This is what God's saying. It wasn't near you. Nah, we had that deflected a long way back. It's fine. It was near enough that you could see it. And you could say, glory to God. There's that shadow stuff going on. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Now he's talking here about pestilence. He's talking here about destruction. That means... That on your one side, 
a thousand people may die. On your other side, 10,000 people may die. And how should you respond? Didn't come near me. <laughs> and so if you don't think that it came near you and you're not afraid of it, what do you do? Just keep on going. I just, I just keep on moving. Going the way that I'm supposed to go. Verse 9 puts another qualifier here. Brings us back to the original qualifier, actually. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. So he said, I've done this. And now because you have done it, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. Nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Now still you may think next door is near. But not according to God. He said, that wasn't near, miss. Nah, wasn't even close to you. Don't, you. don't you fret about it. No evil shall befall you. Why? Because. There's a reason for it. It's not just because you're a believer. It's not just because that you are in the family of God. There is a reason. There's the shadow. There's the dwelling place. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Because you have made... Now, this doesn't mean happen to anybody. This happens to those who have made Him their refuge, their hiding place, their place of security. There is a big difference in believing God and trusting in God. There is a big difference in believing in God and trusting in God. We know that from the Word of God that the, the devil believes in God. His angels believe in God, but they don't trust in Him. Abraham, in the beginning, didn't he believe in God? He loved God. He believed in God. He loved God. But he didn't trust God to bring about his promises. He didn't trust God when he went to the land there was a famine. He went out to Egypt. He had a lot of trust issues. But he believed in them. Just because you believe in God doesn't mean you trust them. Some things will push your trust level and expose its weakness. Now get this. Peter was in the fortress. Last week we were looking at Peter in the water. He was in the fortress. He was trusting God until the waves and the wind pulled up. He began to, to focus on those. He was out of the boat. He was in the safe place on the water with the waves and the wind. And the enemy got him to get out of the safe place, out of the stronghold. Got him to get out of there and to begin to look at the waves and the wind. Now, I don't think I mentioned this last week, but when you think about this story, the, the reason that he is not walking on the water in the story at the end, the reason he was not, it says it's because he looked at the wind and the waves. Were the wind and the waves the hindrance to Peter walking on water in the past? Did he ever say, you know, I could walk in that water if it wasn't stormy? He didn't say that, did he? He never tried to walk on water when it was calm. He wasn't able to walk on water when it was calm. 
wasn't able to walk on water when it was stormy, once he got his eyes off. But here in the beginning, he was. But then the enemy got him to focus on stuff that had already been going on. But now that he's focused on it, his eyes are off God, he's not trusting him anymore. And he got out of his safe place. You can write this down if you want to. But your worries aren't your hindrance. Your worries are not your hindrance. How they pull you from your trust in God is. A lot of times we get our focus on the wind and the waves. Just like when they were fighting the storm, their focus is on the wind and the waves. They're fighting the wind and the waves. But the wind and the waves in our lives is just something that gets our trust off of God. Once the trust is off God, we're no longer in our safe place. And the things that the enemy throws against us have more success. Verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now notice this here. He shall give his what? His angels singular or plural? Plural. Go back to the previous verse. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. Does it sound like, he may be talking to a group, but does it sound like he's talking about a group of yous or an individual you? Sounds to me like he's talking to an individual you. Maybe talking to a whole mess of individual yous, but that's an individual you. When you get over here, the next verse, for he shall give his angels, plural, charge over, you, well, the you before was a singular you, but the angels is a plural. How many angels has he given you? As many, I like that. As many as I need. That's right. That's <laughs> Gladys. As many as I need. That's right. If your situation is a two angel situation, you got two. If your situation has been looked at as a three angel situation, well, you need three angels for this one. He's probably got a whole book up there. What is that? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a four angel situation right there. Maybe you'll get into a situation like Elisha was in. How many angels did Elisha have assigned to him? He had an army of angels that were assigned there. And you can find other times in the Word of God where there was multiple angels who showed up for an individual. Sometimes we always want to focus on my angel. Don't be limiting God. You may have your own personal angel, but he has floaters. <laughs> we need you over here right now. This is a, this is a three angel situation right here. <laughs> he shall give his angels charge over you. Just know, however many angels are needed on your situation, he's got them. And he'll send them. For the purpose, here it is, to keep you in all your ways. Well, when you make him your place, you dwell in the right spot, you abide in the right place under the shadow, then your ways don't come into question. Your, your ways are right. So he can make this statement. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. This verse is so good the devil quoted it. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. 
So he doesn't even want you to dash your foot against the stone. We're going to make sure you're taken care of. We've got angels there. They're watching over you. Jesus knew better than to use this in the wrong place because he knew that his ways had to be right. And the devil was trying to take him out of that dwelling and get him from abiding. And he wasn't going to do it. No, I'm not going to cast myself down. Don't need to do that. I heard um, one, one preacher was talking about a story somebody had related to him. They had gone up into, a, I don't know if it was a high bridge or a high rise or something somewhere, and as they were out there looking out, he, he said there was a, a voice came to him, jump. And uh, he was smart enough to know this. He turned around and he said, no, you jump. <laughs> but not everybody's that smart. Not everybody will, will figure that out. Some people say, oh, I must be suicidal. And they begin to entertain things along that way. No, that's just the devil trying to make you do stupid stuff. Just say, I'm not that stupid. <laughs> not going to do it. Let's see you jump. Now, they, um, verse 13. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Anybody out there want to step on snakes? Yeah, I'm not a fan of trampling on, on snakes. You know, I'm just assuming I'd leave them alone. But you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. So as I meditate on this, I get it this way. A lion is one of those who comes at you boldly. They're, they're going to attack right out there. I mean, they may try and sneak up on you, but they're, they're coming as a bold attack. A serpent, they're hidden. They're trying to keep themselves concealed. They don't want you to see them. They want you to walk into where they are. And then, bang. Then they hit. But what he says is, no matter if you are facing someone who just attacks you boldly, or you're facing someone who just wants to snare you, it's alright. You'll tread upon either one of them. If they're going to come after you, then you can tread them. Now David knew about this because he had a lion tried to come out and take on some things. In fact, I bet you he shared that story with some of his men. And one of his, one of his men heard that story and saw a, a lion in a pit. He said, I got nothing to do right now. He jumps down into the pit, takes the thing on, wins, climbs back out. That is, that is something. You must have heard David's story. Well, if David could do it. Verse, verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Because he has set. This is another condition here. Because he has set. See, everything about this is, there's conditions in it. They're all pointing back to the same ones but none of them are because you believe in God that's not that's not the condition it's a whole mess of people believe in God having a lot of these things come upon them because he has set his love upon me therefore I will deliver him I will set him on high because he has known my name now I put in your outline here that there are six promises of God they all start with I will 
Because he has set his love upon me, therefore, here's the first one, I will deliver him. That's a promise, isn't it? I will deliver him because he has set his love upon me. Now, you got to set your love upon him. A lot of times we love God, but I also love this other stuff. I'm going to hang on to these other things, these other truths. But you got to let go of those things in your love for God. Sometimes God will lead you along and say, now look, you love me, but now you're ready for this. This is in the way. If we really love him, we just say, we'll get rid of that. Therefore, I will deliver him. That's the first one. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. This is a promise from God. He will call upon me and I will answer him. Have you ever said, well, I've been asking God, but he hasn't answered me. He hasn't told me. Man, we got to be careful about that. If that's the case, I need to come back to Psalm 91 and make sure I'm meeting the conditions. Because if I'm meeting the conditions, this is what the, the Word of God says. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Have you ever gotten in trouble? And the enemy hits you with feelings, throws some thoughts your way, and you begin to say, I just feel like God has left me. I feel like God is nowhere around and I'm in this all by myself. He loves it when you voice those things. Because that's going against what the Word of God says. I don't care how you feel. You're in the midst of trouble. You go back to the Word of God says, the Word of God says, I will be with him. I don't care how I feel. I don't care how it looks. This is what the Word of God says. And I will not be thrown from it. See, that's your strong place. That's where we need to be. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. Again, I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him. Now, long life being satisfied, some people aren't satisfied till they're 80, 85 years old. Some people aren't satisfied until they're 90, 95 years old. Some people got satisfied at 35 and died for the things of God. Became martyrs. With long life, I will satisfy him. Your life is intended by God to be satisfying to you. And show him my salvation. Now, we've got to make sure that our prayers line up with these promises. I will deliver him. Oh, God, please deliver me from this thing. That's not lining up. Make sure you bring your prayers back to the word. Not just Psalm 91, but this is certainly one that you can, that you can do. We can, we can do that. We have to bring our, we have to bring our prayers in alignment with him. We have to bring our expectation in alignment with him. These are the things that we, we are responsible for doing. I got to make sure that I am in that strong place. That I stay in that strong place. There's a, a verse of scripture. There's also in Matthew 8, 1 through 4. But I'm going to go over here to Luke 5. I gave you the second reference in case I wanted to go over it. 
But if I didn't, then you all can go on back. This is the same story of it. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. And it happened when he was in the certain city, and behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And now notice this man was full of leprosy. He didn't have leprosy on a certain part of his body, on a small part of his body, and a little bit of his body. He was full of leprosy. It gives me the picture that his arms, his legs, his face, his chest, you name it, it's covered in leprosy. If it's covered in leprosy, stuff's falling off. Hair's falling out. By this point, he may have even lost a few fingers. Toes. Who knows what? But it says he's full of leprosy. This is as far gone of a case as you can get probably and still be alive. Because leprosy will take your life. And he fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, if you are a person who is fully engulfed in leprosy. Leprosy has you covered completely. Every part of your body is covered. And you go to God and say, I know you can make me well. How many of you know that? You got to have some faith. At least you would think that. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, this man, we've talked about it before. He's where most people are. We don't doubt the ability of God. We doubt the willingness. I know God is able. I don't know if God will do it for me. It's the same thing over here in Psalm 91. I know God is able to do all those things, but I don't know if he will do it for me. I read about a thousand on my my side, ten thousand on my right hand. I read about that, and I know that he's done it for other people. I don't know that he would do it for me. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. Now, how many know that's the power of God to do that? That's not just the faith walk that did that. That was the power of God that entered into his body and took that thing on. That leprosy was taken taken out. The leprosy left him. It was all over his body and it's now not. Gone. That is a that's a miracle that'll throw you, especially since if you were here when they did the leprosy part on the on a Wednesday night, you know that the, these priests were going through all this training of how to deal with people that had leprosy who were working towards being being healed. And probably never had to do it. In fact, Jesus' words were that when Naaman was healed, no one in Israel was healed of leprosy. He even said that. Now we, we can assume that probably other times there, there wasn't, we don't have any cases in the Old Testament of anybody ever being healed of leprosy. But how much of the Word of God was dedicated to what you should do if a healing occurred? It seemed like all that was put out there for when Jesus came down. Because now we're having the first time that lepers are being healed. So this man probably has no real cases to look at that leprosy has been healed. But he comes to Jesus still. And he says, If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing. So is this man in faith? If you are in faith, and if Jesus, we know he's in faith, faith pulls from the power of God. When the women with the issue of blood, 
was healed. When was she healed? When she touched the hem of his garment. That touch transferred the power. Is this man healed when Jesus touches him? I thought that too. He was not healed when he touched him. Take a look at this. Take a look at this. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. Now go back over. We do want to go back over to Matthew. Go over to Matthew. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Here's what you have. You have the situation where the man has leprosy. And Jesus comes up and Luke, according to Luke, touched him. When does he get healed? When he says, I am willing, be cleansed. You see, because the man was not in faith until he knew the will of Jesus. So the very fact that Jesus was over there and he touched him, no transfer of power occurred. And then, see there's an order to it. First he, he laid, he touched him and said. So he comes over, he touches him. I am willing, be cleansed. And after those words left his mouth, what happened to the leprosy? It left. The healing is associated not with the touch in this particular case. It is associated with what he said. Because what he said put faith in that man. And the man no longer had to wonder, is, is he willing? He said, I am willing. Be cleansed. See, the condition of the man was important. The condition of the leprosy was not. The condition of the perilous pestilence that are around us is not important. The condition of the arrows that fly by day, they are not important. The swords that may come around us are not important. The situations that come around us are not important. What's important is the faith that is in us. And here in the book of Proverbs, or I'm sorry, the book of Psalms, David has given us one of the best examples of operating within your borders, your boundaries. Here's where you are to operate. Here's where you are to function. And if you function in these areas, what will happen? The rest of what he says. He who dwells in the secret place or in the safe place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So that means that when the enemy begins to attack and it throws its fiery darts, it throws its doubts, it throws its thoughts, it throws its fears, it throws feelings at us. All these things come at us. We are, we go right to our safe place. We stay in the safe place. We see all the attacks are coming up, but the safe place stops it. And I stay in the place of faith. I see your arrows. I see your pestilence. I am not moved by that. 
Don't give me all these things with the feelings. I'm not moved by that. I will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So this means if I don't go to the safe place, I'm not abiding under the shadow. Which means I've left the presence of God. Which is why all this other stuff can come around me. Be a witness to the world. The world is fearful of many things. This is just the latest thing they're fearful of. They'll be fearful of other things after this. They were fearful of other things before it. You operate the way you operate without that. You let them know. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I dwell in the safe place that God has made. That safe place is a place that squashes all worry, anxiety, fear. We get rid of all that sort of stuff. I don't listen to the lies of the enemy because I'm sold on the truth of God's word. It talked about his truth. I want to have his truth. Many Christians have adopted a truth contrary to what God has said. Because the enemy comes up and says, you will never amount to anything. And we've accepted that truth. No one loves you. And we've accepted that truth. We're not supposed to be there. We're supposed to be walking in His truth. But the enemy is always trying to sell you on a different truth. Adam and Eve got sold on a wrong truth. They were abiding where they were supposed to. But then the devil came along and said, Has God really said And they decided to walk out from what God said to do to what they felt like they could do. Operate within the borders with which God has given you. And all these promises, all these things of Psalm 91 will come about. These aren't going to come about because you quote them. Just because you confess them doesn't mean they're going to come about in your life because these are conditional promises. Which means you do this I'll do it. God, God gives a lot of conditional promises. What he, his conditional promise to David was, if you will do all that I have written, I will make your house an enduring house. He gave those same things to Jer- Jeroboam. Jeroboam didn't follow him at all. David at least followed him. He gave words to Abraham. Abraham didn't, didn't buy into him at first. Abraham didn't trust him. But when he finally did, those things God said would come. They came. Psalm 91 has a lot of good promises in it. But make sure you keep your ways within what he tells us to do. Stay in a safe place. The enemy wants to get you out. Get you out of the tower so he can hit you with all this stuff. He wants to hit you with worries. He wants to hit you with fears. He wants to hit you with... Trust issues. He wants to shake all that. No, just say, this is where I'm li- this is where I'm living. This is where I abide. I'm not going over to these other places. I'm not moving into these other things. This is where God wants me, and this is where I'm going to be. I am protected. I have been delivered, and I live in the promises. If I will do what those verses say. Do what he says. Know where your borders are. 
know where you are to operate and operate within those, those areas. God has called you to operate in those areas. He didn't call you to go operate in somebody else's area. He called you to operate in those areas. The enemy is always trying to get us, well, doesn't that area look more fun? Go and operate in that area. Don't do it. Stay with what God has given you and be faithful in doing that. Some of the stories we looked at, we saw where people were given an area to operate in from God and then they strayed out, out of it and went into some other areas. Got themselves into some trouble. We saw kings who decided I'm going to become a priest too. Saw that in two different situations. And they came into a problem. Operate where you're supposed to be. God will bless you. The truth of Psalm 91 will ring true in your life. Every single day. Stay with it. Don't be shaken. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you that you have great love for us. The enemy is always trying to get us to question that love. Do you really love us? Do you really look out for us? Do you really have your best interest, our best interest in mind? Father, we're going to stick with your word, what you said in your word. And even though we are in the midst of a situation where there might be a thousand falling at our side, ten thousand at our right hand, arrows flying during the day, people terrified at night, unsure of so many things, even though lions and cobras may come after us, those things that are bold and those things that are secret, they will not come near us. And I can walk in that confidence. And no matter how it looks, I thank you, Father. I will not be shaken from my place of trusting in you. Our time here on earth is to be spent learning more about you and getting more solidified in the things of the Word. Not just to be settling for milk some light understanding of the word of God Father you're calling us into some some big things we need to have big understanding and you will lead us into it because it is, it is your truth that gives us this stability I thank you for the truth of God that comes into into us give you the praise and the glory for in Jesus name some of you folks have shared with me some of the things that God was speaking to you some of the things that you've done I appreciate hearing some of that just know if God has given you something he's given you a first step in whatever area that you've asked him step out there and do it step out there and walk in it and when you do the first step after a little while Another step will come. And then and then some more steps. And you'll be able to do better. You'll get stronger in it. Fears, doubts, worries, they'll begin to fall off of you. They won't be able to attach themselves the way they had before. 
be like you're out in a rainstorm in one of the best raincoats there is. Just standing there, the stuff can't touch you. It may be getting all over you, but it can't touch you. Because you're protected. Just know that's how much your God loves you. That's how much he'll do to protect you. Glory to God.